This show is brought to you in part by Art and Object. The art world is constantly changing, and fortunately, there is a great new website called Art and Object that'll help keep you up to date. You can find Art and Object on the web at www.artandobject.com. And recently, it helped to keep me up to date to a new story like the Manil Collection's new Drawing Institute. I really love drawings, so I love knowing that there's this new great place that I heard about on Art and Object that will really inspire others to keep preserving drawing and moving drawing forward as an art form. So to find this and other stories, go to Art and Object at artandobject.com, www.artandobject.com, www.artandobject.com. Welcome, Art Curious listeners, to another episode of our bonus series, A Little Curious. A Little Curious will populate in your show feed automatically in the weeks in between our normal episodes this season, and will provide you with short and sweet bonus content about the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? If so, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in practically any issue you can imagine, such as depression, stress, anxiety, relationship issues, sleeping problems, anger, family conflicts, self-esteem, grief, LGBT issues, and many, many more. And the great news is that you can do this all without even leaving your home. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment, and anything you share is confidential. I love how convenient this is because it allows you to get your help at your own pace and on your own time. You can talk to a counselor via chat, text, phone, or video, or any combination of the above. You can do this at any time, and you can be matched with a counselor as quickly as 24 hours from time that you sign up. And if you're not happy with any given counselor, you can request a new one at any time for no additional fees. And best of all, BetterHelp is truly affordable. And for Art Curious listeners, you can now get 10% off your first month with discount code ARTCURIOUS. So why not get started and feel better today? Go to betterhelp.com ARTCURIOUS. And there you can simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love right now. That's betterhelp.com slash artcurious. Remember, artcurious is one word. Betterhelp.com slash artcurious. This week's topic, the possible disastrous inspiration behind Edvard Munch's The Scream. Possibly second to the Mona Lisa as the world's most iconic work of art, Edvard Munch's 1893 painting, The Scream, has been parodied and imitated everywhere from The Simpsons to Home Alone to, well, the Scream series of horror films. You are probably picturing it in your mind right now. A scene of a terrible skeleton-like figure, a man, or at least we think it is a man, with a mouth drawn down in an oval of fright and despair, his hands framing his face. The entire image is an awful one, made even worse by the shocking swirl of expressionistic brushstrokes, creating a violent orange sky and a landscape empty beyond. So, not a happy painting, but one that has long been the single work of art to define Edvard Munch, a Norwegian painter most active in the late 19th century and one who has been an inspiration for artists for over a century. 
One of the things I love most is when I can hear an artist discuss his or her work of art personally, which is why it's always a pleasure for me in my day job as a curator of contemporary art. I want to learn and understand an artist's thoughts, inspirations, methods. About the scream, Monk wove a very famous tale about his personal take on this painting, which was inspired by his own experiences. A year before he completed the painting, Monk recorded an entry in his diary about an unusual occurrence he had experienced years before. He writes, quote, I was walking along the road with two friends. The sun was setting. I felt a wave of sadness, and the sky suddenly turned blood red. I stopped, leaned against the fence, tired to death, and looked out over the flaming clouds like blood and swords, the blue-black fjord and city. My friends walked on, but I stood there quaking with angst, and I felt as though a vast, endless scream passed through nature. This moment so struck Monk that he not only translated it into canvas multiple times over, as well as in prints, but he even wrote a poem about the incident, taking phrases nearly verbatim from this diary entry. It's almost like he needed to exercise the moment from his being through artistic inspiration, or that he needed to relive the crisis over and over again to understand or come to grips with it. But what does it mean? What happened to Monk that day on that road overlooking the fjord? The general interpretation throughout art history has been that the artist, in that specific moment he described in his diary, had some sort of existential break or a breakdown. At the very least, he had some kind of psychological event. Monk was always anxious and probably depressed, with an overall tone of despair evident in much of his work. So such an interpretation does make some sense. In addition, the vast endless scream of nature could hit one almost like the theoretical sublime as envisioned by the philosopher Edmund Burke in the late 18th century, wherein the grandiosity of nature is so evident that mankind can only seem small in comparison and thus register the relationship as a kind of horror. All in all, this concept of a personal psychological problem is one of the reasons why this work is so starkly famous, so resonant with us even today. We can relate to this figure's distress and anxiety in the scream, even if we aren't experiencing his exact same mental state. In 2004, though, a new theory came to light to explain the mystery behind the scream and what it truly represents. In an issue of Sky and Telescope magazine, yep, for real, three researchers from the Texas State University posited that there was a logical and physical reason for this scream of nature. This isn't the first time that scientists have hoped to solve artistic mysteries using their own divergent backgrounds. And in fact, our very last episode of A Little Curious touched on this when we discussed the ongoing efforts of scientists, as well as art historians, to locate the fabled Battle of Anghiari painting by Leonardo da Vinci. And we also covered medical diagnoses of various figures in art history in one of our episodes from the first season. That's episode 18 if you want to listen in. In this case, though, the Texas scientists, and one English professor, focused solely on Monk's blood-red sky. And they said, that incredible stirring sunset? It was caused by an eruption of the fabled volcano of Krakatoa in Indonesia, which blew its lid on August 27, 1883. By the end of that year, the detritus, all that muck that was stirred up into the air from the explosion, had blown into Europe and far beyond. As the New York Times reported on November 28, 1883, the result was some of the most amazing sunsets of all time, and the article further reflected a scene that sounds staggeringly familiar. It reported, quote, 
Soon after five o'clock, the western horizon suddenly flamed into a brilliant scarlet, which crimsoned sky and clouds. People in the streets were startled at the unwanted sight and gathered in small groups on all corners to gaze into the west. Many thought that a great fire was in progress." Unquote. A similar note was heralded, in fact, in a Norway paper just two days later, reading, quote, A strong light was seen yesterday and today around five o'clock to the west of the city. People believed it was a fire, but it was actually a red refraction in the hazy atmosphere after sunset, unquote. So what was it? Did Monk and his friends in their evening promenade happen upon this atmospheric anomaly? It's entirely possible, though Monk never confirmed the exact date or even year of this experience of that vast eternal scream. It could have happened in 1883 or early 84, when Norway, like much of the rest of the world, was experiencing those incredibly vivid twilights. But to me, even if this is the true experience that inspired Monk, it's only half the story. That vivid blood red and orange background is startling and amazing, sure, but it's secondary to the figure, that screaming figure in the forefront. Think about it. This phenomenon brought on by the eruption of Krakatoa was witnessed over a period of months and by millions of people all over the world. It's natural that some of them might have been a little freaked out by what they saw, or at least a little nervous. Remember that people on both sides of the Atlantic thought that there was this huge fire just off of the horizon, for example. But in general, people moved on, and they even enjoyed the spectacular and strange beauty of these evenings. Not Monk. It's his reaction, that tiredness, that dizzy sensation, that break from his two walking companions, and finally, his experience of the scream of nature, the scream that would give its name to the painting and inspire its protagonist to scream too. That's why this painting stands the test of time, and why it grips us, even today. If it just was a simple scene reflecting the Krakatoa incident, I don't think we would feel so moved, so inspired, so terrible. It's the feeling and Monk's expression of those feelings that makes this work for me. For more stories of the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history, subscribe now to the Art Curious Podcast on the podcatcher of your choice or download and listen in on our website, artcuriouspodcast.com. I hope that this episode today has made you a little curious.